Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Who's Talking, the podcast where we talk about all things Doctor Who. I'm Michael. And I'm Maggie. And this week we're going to be talking about this year's Doctor Who centenary special, The Power of the Doctor. Jodie Whittaker's 13th Doctor must fight for her very existence against her deadliest enemies, the Daleks, the Cybermen, and her arch nemesis, the Master. Who is attacking a speeding bullet train on the edges of a distant galaxy? Why are seismologists going missing from 21st century Earth? Who is defacing some of history's most iconic paintings? Why is a Dalek trying to make contact with the Doctor? And just what hold does the mesmeric Rasputin have over Tsar Nicholas II in 1916 Russia? The Doctor faces multiple threats, and a battle to the death. So Maggie, what did you think about the episode? So, Michael, I had a lot of thoughts about the episode, but overall, I have to say, given Flux, I went in with pretty low expectations. They exceeded all of my expectations, and then some, and then some, and then some. I had so much fun with this episode. I really genuinely loved it. I think you had a slightly better time than I did, but I still had a lot of fun with it. I also just thought it was... uh kind of messy but messy in a good way as opposed to messy in an annoying way if that makes sense i was very worried when i found out this was supposed to be a centenary special just given the fact that i am not a particularly huge fan of the day of the doctor i was worried that it wasn't going to reflect all of the years that doctor who has been on the bbc you know this isn't just the new who channel this is bbc and i think that it did an excellent job. It had all of the living past doctors, except for, sorry, all of the living past classic doctors, which was everything I wanted. And you got some of them who got to be in their old clothes. I got very, very excited when I saw the celery suit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I cheered. Oh, I love the fifth doctor suit. And I, I don't even, I haven't seen enough classic who to appreciate it to the extent that I should. So I want to know what you thought about all of the nods to Classic Who. Where I am in my Classic Who watch is like midway through the fourth Doctor. So since the episode primarily featured Doctors 5 through 8, I don't quite have the relationship with those ones that I do with the previous four. So I'm kind of in the same boat as you in that I don't know quite as much about them. Like, I know more about them than you do, but it's like, I, I still haven't really seen a lot of episodes with, like, Five and Tegan, for example, and I've seen only, like, one episode, or one story with Seven and Ace. So some of that also kind of, not, didn't, it didn't go over my head, because I knew what was going on, but it wasn't, I didn't quite have the emotional, like, connection that I think someone who has seen all of those episodes would have had. But that being said, I still think they did... Though Those parts were, like, really special in the kind of way that they should have been in Day of the Doctor. And I like that episode a lot more than you do. But it is interesting to me that this one is kind of, like, exactly what you'd have thought an anniversary episode would have been. Even the way they used the older Doctors, like, like, say what you will about a lot of the changes that Chibnall has made to, like, the Doctor Who mythology, but the idea that there's, like, a, a part of the Doctor's subconscious where 
all of the regenerations kind of still chill is such an interesting idea, especially as it's like at the crossroads between life and death. That's such an interesting idea. And they like are aware of each other, which yeah. makes it better. It's like like seven and eight bickering was just such an absolute delight. I, I wanted them. I wanted I wanted more of that. I give kudos to Chibnall for not doing more of it. But at the same time, I also wanted more of it. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's definitely it's definitely something that is better if, like, you d- you have the the small nod and you don't... It doesn't stay past its welcome. Yeah, it's, it's really easy to, like, overindulge in that. And I think he walked that line... I think he walked it pretty well. Pretty well, yeah. Especially since he had so many other nostalgic elements that he could pull from. He didn't have to spend 20 minutes on that. Like... Leave that for Big Finish, who will absolutely make a box set set in the Doctor's subconscious in like a decade. Give them time, they'll do it. And I mean, they also had the moments with the holograms. And those were really nice. Like, I've heard a little bit of discourse about the one with Seven and Ace, but that that one's tricky because Ace never had an on-screen departure. And so a lot of that conversation is like vaguely referencing things that may or may not have happened in expanded universe material which gets like really murky but the one with ace and five you mean tegan and five that's what i meant yeah tegan and five (laughs) is i I thought was really touching primarily because of the way that it touches on what happened with adric who was one of the companions during that era they five traveled with like three of them at the beginning of his run it was Nissa, Adric, and Tegan, if I'm remembering correctly. And Adric, spoiler alert for like a 40-year-old story, but Adric gets killed by the Cybermen. And he was he was really young. And it was kind of a shocking, almost tasteless kind of thing. And because of the way that Classic Who was designed, they didn't really you didn't really feel the after effects of that the way that you might have had the show done something like that now. And so for there to be a scene where those two characters are kind of finally addressing that was kind of nice. And and then I just really liked the way that they used Tegan and Ace's feelings towards their respective doctors to kind of contrast with the way that Yaz and Thirteen's relationship was going. Yeah, because with Classic Who, you have such a different type of relationship with the doctors and the companions i mean we've talked a little bit about that i mean russell t davies really introduced this idea of the doctor being something other than a paternal figure and i think i think it's funny because it's a little bit different than when we met sarah jane back in season two and she said something about how you always get younger and so do your companions or something like that so you know she has this sort of chiding element to her reaction whereas you know tegan and ace are more shocked the the way that tegan said that line i think it's something like like when yaz goes i'm the only one here who doesn't know what's going on and tegan goes were you but older yeah i was like yeah tegan tell her i was like somehow this is both uh jilted x vibes and also not jilted x vibes because that wasn't their relationship at all well what's really funny about the way that tegan left is that tegan Tegan kind of left in a storm, but, like, also on her own accord. Like, they didn't have, like, a... It wasn't, like, a nasty departure or anything. She kind of 
it was a little angrily chose to leave and then left and then the doctor left and then like as the if i'm remembering right as the tardis is like departing she calls out and then that's that and we never see her again so it's such an it's an interesting thing because you could definitely argue that well she chose to leave but even in her departure there's that like hint of regret and it's very interesting to see the way that that regret almost has almost morphed into like bitterness yeah i mean it's been 30 years and it's not just the way they ended things it's dude has a time machine and never came back for her not even for a visit and that's something that gets touched on a lot when when you've got the like returning companions like even even the sarah jane ones like early on touched on that a little bit where it's like the doctor has this habit of just never visiting the companions again despite the fact that he for most of them he could like there's not most of the companions aren't stuck in this scenario where if he visits them new york implodes or whatever you know the doctor could just pop by for sunday afternoon tea and then depart again if you if they really wanted to yeah and it's interesting it's like the doctor claims that the whole you know goodbyes are hard and they hurt and the doctor doesn't like looking back and all that and the doctor claims that it's because the doctor's been hurt in the past but from what i can tell the doctor was doing that before before the time war before a lot of the deaths the the doctor just did that that's just part of who the doctor was i mean that's Part of, if I am reading the emotions right, it's part of why the Master is as upset with the Doctor as he is. Because the Doctor just left. He just leaves. So it ultimately ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. New Who is really the time where they started playing with the idea of what did the companions get up to after the Doctor left them. Like, Sarah Jane Adventures played with that some. uh, If Joe Grant appeared in one of those episodes and we found out a bunch of, about what she did after after she left the third doctor and ace was supposed to have appeared on the show at one point but that never happened etc cetera, etc cetera. well we learn a little bit about what the most recent companions have been up to uh with this episode so we get a visit from graham who absolutely just randomly appears in the episode in the most delightfully... He's investigating! <laughs> yeah, but he he really just, like, walks into the episode and it's wonderful. I mean, is that not just Graham? I mean, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, like it absolutely works it, it, in terms of his character. He just appears. There, There's no hint that he's going to be there. He just is suddenly under a volcano saying hi to Ace. And flirting with her, which was weird. <laughs> Like, why do they do that? The only thing I knew about Ace going into this was that she was the lesbian-coded one. Why would they make her flirt with a dude? You know what's even, like, worse is that Tegan was really lesbian-coded, and then they made her have two husbands in the episode. Like, they reference her having multiple ex-husbands when apparently at one point, and I don't, I, I, I can't confirm this, but this is what I've heard, was that it, it was hinted that Tegan and Nyssa had a relationship I have seen that on the internet. So, I mean, take that for what you will, but... But dang, the Doctor Who writers really did sit down and say, well, if we're giving them Thasmin, it's going to be way too much lesbians. <laughs> we got to dial back the lesbians. But yeah, Ace and Graham, what an iconic duo. That is an iconic duo. 
I don't want them to date, but I definitely want them to have adventures together. I think they'd be fun. I need I need a, a Sarah Jane Adventure style spinoff, but it's Ace and then like everybody who every every member of that support group that wants to like be regulars on a TV show. I just need them to have little adventures. That's all I'm asking for at Disney Plus. That's different than what I'm looking for because I don't want like a rehashing of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't be exactly that because like I'm not asking for like a bunch of kids to be involved, which is the Sarah Jane Adventures was that Sarah Jane was like the adult and then there was a bunch of kids. But you know I've been talking about how there should be a unit spinoff. Yeah, that can be it. It can be the same show. I think absolutely let's have Kate Stewart and Ace working together and solving cool, weird stuff that happens in in the world. And it can be completely tonally different than Torchwood and we're not rehashing Torchwood. Um and I think that it would be great. And you can do you can do it like sitcommy. Make it make it lighthearted X Files, but in Doctor Who. Like funny X Files. So Wellington Paranormal. You just want more Wellington Paranormal. Yeah, I do. It doesn't have to be that silly though. Like somewhere between Wellington Paranormal and X Files. Which is quite a range, to be honest with you. That is a range. I think I think Torchwood actually fits within that range. I mean, it's closer to the X-Files side of the range than I think what we're looking for. No, it's definitely closer to the X-Files side of the range than what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something lighthearted that I can just throw on and have a ball. I, I agree. Something something that's very lighthearted and like team-based, I think, would also be really fun. Speaking of teams, when the doctor said all hands on deck... My heart grew three sizes. It made me so happy. <laughs> so I guess back to back to the rest of the episode, as we've talked about, like, two specific bits of it, none of which was really about the current team. Let's talk about, I guess let's talk about Dan. Dan was barely in the episode. Yeah, what what was Dan's exit? I mean, he just was like, yeah, okay, I'm done. Like, I think, I think what they were going for was that the doctor moves so fast that she doesn't necessarily notice what's going on with her friends. Because, like, they, they make a whole big thing, at least visually, about the fact that his helmet got damaged when they were on top of the train. And he could have suffocated in space. And the doctor doesn't notice, nor does she seem to care. And I think that the implication they're making is that that was like the final straw for him. And he was like, you know what? I'm outie. I'm just going to go hang out with Diana now. But they didn't like, it's not really communicated that well, if that's what they were going for. No, I mean, I didn't sort of get those vibes. I just sort of also got sort of frustrated third wheel vibes. But I also got just... He's ready to leave and doesn't want to die. Yeah. I mean, like, all of that's interesting. I just wish that they had... They should have explored it more. Yeah. It's very, very rushed. And and, and that, that kind of got into a lot of my structural problems with the episode. Mo- many of... Most of them didn't, like, hamper my enjoyment in the moment. But it's the kind of stuff where when you think about it, you're like, okay, but this, but, but that, but this. But what was the ev- point of Rasputin? Yeah, that's what I'm like. There are so many bits that when you think about them, they don't like line up. 
it's just stuff that is happening in a sequential order as we frantically travel down a path towards the conclusion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and like I think the Dan thing is something like that where it's like, well, we just need to get him out of the way because we've already got too many characters and we can't have another one. And we need we need to set him up for the 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 support group climax at the end where he'll reappear for reasons. And then this has to happen, and then this needs to happen, and there's no connective tissue between any of that, and there's no time to explore any of the, like, dramatic repercussions of a lot of what's going on. It's just boom, 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 things need to happen, let's go. I think that the episode actually would have been better if it had had an undercurrent of exploring that. I think if Dan had suffocated on top of that train, it would have given the rest of the episode a lot more depth. Yeah. Which is not me saying that I want Dan to suffocate. (laughs) Because let's be clear, I adore Dan. But I think the fact that he left in such a carefree manner really lowered the stakes of the episode. Yeah, you don't get the sense that anyone including to some degree the doctor is in a whole lot of danger except i mean she is in danger but at the same time you don't necessarily get the sense that it's like permanent danger and that even to some degree lasts through her like actual fatal blow and it's and so when she's actually fatally injured it doesn't quite hit you as hard as it could have if that makes sense she's fatally injured but she gets to take as long as she wants to say goodbye which i mean to be fair is not uh unusual like 10 did get to go on like a a multi-day no that's true i do think that she definitely had one of the best goodbyes i really i think the the, the sort of chill way they took her her exit like like post fatal injury was really nice the 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 very uh not relaxed but um like quiet moment she gets to share with yaz on top of the tardis before they say goodbye and then the more down to earth speech they give her at the end like she doesn't grandstand the way that matt smith or peter capaldi did her thing is very much like yeah let's let's go on to the next adventure and she acknowledges she acknowledges that it was a little bit sad, you know? She says something, you know, my regret is that I don't get to see how this, what happens next. Yeah. And I just think Tag Your It is an amazing, amazing final line. Yeah, all of that was so nice. I just wish that the episode, like, there is, like, a sense of melancholy throughout the whole thing. Like, you, but I don't know how much of that is what we brought in knowing it's the final episode or See, what the what episode I'm communicates. That's what I'm thinking is what gives it its gravitas as opposed to the actual content of the episode itself. I mean, Yaz leaving was, you know, it was sad and sweet and bittersweet and all that, but Yaz living didn't really ring true for me. Like, I know I just said I didn't want da- Dan to die, but I was kind of fully expecting Yaz to die or somehow get otherwise permanently separated from the doctor. I was not expecting her to just leave of her own volition because the doctor was going to change faces. That whole, 
there was like a disconnect in setting up the respective departure arcs for both of those characters. Like, for a while, it feels like they're trying to set up this idea that Yaz will walk because the doctor can't or won't be like emotionally vulnerable, right? Like that seemed that's that's what the first like half of the episode is sort of positing between Ace and Tegan going on about how the doctor just like abandons people and 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 then the way that the doctor doesn't respond like at all to Dan leaving and won't take a second to check in with Yaz on what's going on. Like there is definitely a setup for like the good omens line where uh uh Michael Sheen tells David Tennant you just move too fast for me. Like it's kind of like they're they're setting something like that up and then don't follow through on it is how I felt. I can definitely see that. Yeah, no, I definitely see that perspective. I there definitely needed to be more conflict with that. There there wasn't a reason for Yaz to leave. She just she just left. Yeah. And it didn't make any sense. It didn't. And especially since you have the the precedent we have with new who is that when the doctor regenerates into a completely new doctor that in and of itself does not prompt a companion to leave rose and clara both stayed i mean obviously like the reason she had to leave is that the showrunner was leaving and and both of the times that a companion has stayed in new who it's because the showrunner hadn't changed but they still needed to give yaz a reason to leave like there was just I, I, there should have been a breaking point or something like like somewhere mid-episode where there's like a clear straw that breaks the camel's back and you she gets through the rest of the episode and then is like i'm leaving now i can't do this anymore i'm out which i think goes back to our whole discussion of this episode just kind of happened in sequential order. There was no real through line to the episode. The Master's plan was just do a bunch of crazy stuff to get the Doctor in a room and then turn into the Doctor. You know, it wasn't, there, there wasn't, there wasn't so much an arc for the episode. And while that worked for allowing us to have these really great moments with the past companions and the nods to Classic Who and you know have those have those little moments because if we're not super focused on a big grand overarching plot we can take the time for that but at the same time it's like it's like an episode that's full of moments but doesn't have a narrative that supports those moments but at the end of the episode that makes the journey that these characters have been on it doesn't give them growth it gives them time lived yeah so there's nothing that pushes yaz to leave there's nothing that gives us this realization outside of we know chibnall's leaving so yaz has to leave mandip gill has to leave so it just that part of the episode as much as i was incredulous and pleased that all of 13's companions got out of this alive in one dimension and without causing any paradox or memory loss, I kind of wish that there had been an arc, there had been a reason that Yaz 
couldn't stay. I mean, especially with all of the paralleling that they've been doing between Yaz and the Doctor and Ten and Rose. I know it's not a grand lot of paralleling, but it's enough that it's was fairly noticeable. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's like the pendulum swung too far the other direction. Like, companion exits had gotten so tragic that they needed to become less tragic. So they weren't anything at all. They were all just the companions choosing to leave. They had swung too far the other direction when it, it needs to land in a happy middle of this is sad, but nobody is dying. Yeah, they, there needed to be a reason for Yaz to leave, and it needed to it needed to not be happy. And it could have been it could have been perfectly fine. She could have been alive and left of her own volition. They could have just gotten to an into a horrible fight or something. Let her let her have a Martha moment. I mean, considering considering how much of this episode in this era just liberally, I don't want to say copies, but borrows from the RTD era, like, she could have just had a Martha moment. That's interesting that you say that, because I f- find that this era tried so hard to distance itself from both RTD and Moffat. It distances itself, but also repeats plot points almost identically. Like, in this episode, we have another scene where the master has the doctor captured and performs a song and dance number set to a campy song. Which, let's be real, that's the only reason they had Rasputin in there. Yeah, I mean, it's a great scene. Like, that's not a complaint. If I had a nickel for every time a time-traveling TV show had people fight uh, Rasputin to the tune of Ra Ra Rasputin, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> and then, like, we brought back Captain Jack, and we brought back the uh, the Jadoon, and we brought back, and we destroyed Gallifrey again. And we and we didn't bring back River, even though yeah. Alex Kingston was in the UK, and they probably could have made it work. And like, and we're doing the thing where we've got the old companions who are, are, are we're doing school reunion two again. You know, like, you, like there, there's lots of parallels, but not River or Martha. Yeah, but but not those, because we can't have nice things. <laughs> no, that's a lie. Tegan, Tegan and Ace were very nice. I, I very, very much enjoyed meeting them, and I am wholly looking forward to watching i mean i think this has prompted me more to like watch classic who than anything else i'll say i was actually really surprised at how much of the episode tegan and ace were in like they're certainly like the b slash c plot of the episode but they are not it is not a cameo appearance they are in the episode oh yeah no i for sure thought that they were gonna have probably something similar to kate stewart's role yeah, when, but what's surprising is is comparatively how little Kate Stewart is in the episode. She has a similar amount of screen time, but does not make the impression that... Yeah, she doesn't do much. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that's that's just a symptom of there. there's too many characters in this to do something with all of them. It's like the same reason why the Cybermen and the Daleks are just kind of there... And absolutely didn't need to be in the episode, except that it's fun to have them there. And see, this is where a unit spinoff could be a great character showcase. For Anyway, uh, back to your thing. 
on the one hand, it's it's almost like they made this episode under the assumption that a 60th anniversary wouldn't happen. So they needed to throw the entire kitchen sink into the script. So it's like, it's everything you think of when you think of Doctor Who, right? It's There's the Masters, the Daleks, the Cybermen. There's a bunch of companions. There's a wild plot. It's all a little campy. It's all a little silly. It is like, it's it's almost like, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, and it's going to sound disrespectful, but it is very much like you fed a thousand hours of Doctor Who into an AI bot and asked it to write a script. I think that given the trouble that the BBC had finding a replacement showrunner for Chibnall and the fact that, you know, at the last hour, RTD came back and brought back David Tennant and Catherine Tate and all that. I think that there was probably a possibility that the 60th special wouldn't happen. Either not as a 60th special. I mean, maybe they would have just quietly passed the 60th anniversary the way some TV shows do. Well, not 60th anniversaries, but, you know, they passed their fifth anniversary. And it's not a super huge deal. Chibnall's hinted in some press over the past year that when he wrote the episode, he did not know what the future of the show was. Like, like because Russell wasn't announced as being the new showrunner until they were already filming this episode. Because that, that announcement happened towards, I think, like mid to late September of 2021. And this episode would have been filming by then. So it was written without knowing what was coming next, for sure. And Yeah, so that's why it feels like yeah, the, the celebration of Doctor Who more so than the 60th could. Before we get too far into the 60th, I do want to like emphasize that despite the numerous complaints I have just shared in the past half hour, that like it's a really fun episode. It it is like Doctor Who at its most Doctor Who-y. It is, and it's and it's got so many little moments that are just so fun. I mean, in addition to all the classic Who mentions, you have the whole thing where Yaz has sticky notes to learn how to drive the TARDIS. Yes. Which filled my entire heart up with joy. Sacha Duan is just an he incredible is full delight. full Batman villain. Full Batman villain. It's amazing. I said in my review that getting to watch him parade about in Jody's outfit just causing mayhem is like worth the price of admission all on its own nothing else could have happened and just those like 20 minutes would have been absolutely worth watching the entire episode oh my gosh and that whole like little angsty bit when he's dressed in all of the other doctor's stuff and he's like <laughs> i'm the doctor and yes it's like no you're not it's just and like despite them not having given him a clear motivation for that. I still think I really like the way that Chibnall has been playing with the master doctor uh, friendship. Like it, with, with Moffat and Missy, we got a lot of like lighthearted frenemies, but with this, we got a lot of like the master feels spurned by the doctor. Like, it's it's like they had a nasty breakup and, and the master's really bitter about it. Yeah, and so you have that sort of, that, I don't want to say melancholy, because I keep saying melancholy. But you do have that 
there's there's like an underlying heartbreak there. It is. It's it is heartbreaking because they used to be friends. They used to be best friends. And like I do like the idea that when the master learned about the timeless child that it like really upset them because the master has is the one who always wants to be special, right? And so naturally it would hurt that not only is your 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 friend in quotation marks the one who's like always treated more special than you is like genetically more special than you and i i I almost wish they what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Done more with that. Because I think, I'm assuming that is the general driving force between why the Master does what he does in this episode. Yeah, why he wants to become the Doctor. Yeah. As opposed to just... Taking the doctor's repu- re- uh, reputation or or stealing her identity, he physically becomes the doctor, and then wants to absolutely ruin her reputation. Like he becomes her, and then is like, "And now I'm going to make sure that everyone hates you." Like it's it's insane, and it makes more sense if you have that real driving underlying feud. So I I wish that the episode had maybe dropped a couple of things so that it could have really that could have been like the driving force because it it is narratively the part of the episode that's the most interesting and there's the most like acting going on there you know when it's also like if 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 your if your thesis for the episode is to try and spell out the power of the doctor right like what is the thing that makes the doctor the doctor like like why is this character this person which i think it i think it does i think it really speaks to the doctor's like what makes the doctor the doctor is not her genetics or her outfits but the connections that she makes with other people and other species and you know, there's no better way to highlight that than bringing her greatest connections back on screen. Agreed. I, I think I think I just feel like the episode loses that focus a little bit when it's clearly what it's about, but it just gets muddy at times. And when it regains that focus is when the episode is like really hitting and you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is the celebration I'm here for because yes. it does celebrate the 13th Doctor's era. It's not just like a classic who party they're having like it very much does feel like a nice end cap to the past four years right like it is the greatest hits of the 13th doctor it is i mean you've got the daleks you've got that weird rogue dalek storyline where the dalek is just like help me obi-wan kenobi my favorite part about that is that somebody and i i didn't know it's the doctor the doctor's like a nice dalek i've never heard of that and i'm like ma'am Literally in your last life, you met a nice Dalek named Rusty. This is Rusty Erasure, and I will not stand for it. <laughs> I'm sorry, go on. <laughs> we had different 
we had different opinions about that scene. Okay. <laughs> but I think that it was a lot of fun to see, like, the Dalek prisoner version of the Doctor. Because we also got, like, the angel prisoner of the Doctor. I feel like we need a Cyberman prisoner version of the Doctor. And we can just have collect the whole set, you know? Gotta catch them all. Sorry, going back to the um, Master... There's a moment when he plays the recorder, which I had to do some Googling because I had to pa- I had to pause the episode and look it up on Wikipedia because I did not understand why the doctor was playing the Outlander theme song on <laughs> the recorder. Doctor Who has its own entire section of the Wikipedia page for the Skyboat song where Outlander oh, just has like a brief mention within a compound sentence under 21st century. And for some reason that pleases me greatly. That's so funny. That's a, it's the second doctor, right? It is the second doctor. Yes. Like, I just think that that whole master thing with, with, with the, it's just such a nice, like Easter eggy bit of, of like trying to pinpoint which parts of, of, of those scenes are referencing which doctors like, like he's wearing, He's got the question mark sweater, which is like a Seventh Doctor thing. He's got the vegetable lapel. He's got the recorder. You know, little. It's just like it's like a little like puzzle piece of like like a jigsaw puzzle of which thing is which Doctor, and that made me very happy. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. So, I feel like this episode so far has been about as chaotic and messy as the the episode we're talking about was but in a good way it is good i mean it is somehow the fact that it's messy makes it the perfect end cap to chibnall's era because chibnall was messy his his stuff was a lot of stuff crammed in at once and you just had to go with the flow and the fact that this final episode he doesn't try to change that but he does it in a way that is so, like, full of joy and full of appreciation for where he's been and where he's come from and where the show has been and where the show has come from. It just, it just makes that such, such a good final episode for this era and such a good final, not final celebration for the BBC, um, such a good hundredth celebration for the BBC. Yeah, it's one of those, like, he makes it very easy this this time around to just go with the flow like it's like yes it kind of collapses under real thought right but it's really easy to just sit back kick out your feet and just just vibe with the episode it's 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 not boring everybody's having a lot of fun the visuals are really pretty there's a lot of a lot of really good moments throughout the episode like like, the opening train sequence is really fun. A lot of the action scenes are really fun. Sasha Dewan is killing it. Uh, Jody, Jody getting to interact with the classic Doctors is a lot of fun. Like, the, the episode is just full of moments that are just really fun. And so you end up walking away in a really good mood. It's not trying to take itself super seriously the way that Flux was. And I think that's why... The messy, like, amalgamation of stuff works so much better in this episode than Flux or other episodes in Chibnall's era. 
this is just like it's like a doctor who party like it is and it's 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 really a celebration everyone's a little tipsy we've had like a glass of champagne too many but we're all vibing yeah but you see if we had a glass of champagne too many we would all be like pounding the four drum beats on the table going we <laughs> but is that not kind of the vibe the episode is like communicating at times though i i think it's slightly more composed than that <laughs> okay that's fair going forward the episode ends with what surprised me to be a surprising twist for a lot of people was that apparently people didn't know that david tennant was coming back yeah, where have you been? Where have these people been that they didn't know that David Tennant was coming back? Like I saw on the on the video that the of the regeneration that got posted to YouTube, there are a ton of comments that are like, I didn't know he was coming back. And I'm like, they announced it like six months ago. It was like headline news for several days. Like I understand that was like three prime ministers ago, at least one dead monarch. Like I understand things have happened. <laughs> but at the same time, they were like, they're like, this was like a well known thing that happened. <laughs> but yeah, she, she regenerates into David Tennant at the end of the episode. And you know what? Like, I thought I was going to hate it. I thought I was going to be so upset. But it works. It works. I agree. It it 100% works. And I think, I think it's a mixture for me, at least, of enough time has passed since that got announced. That I've come to terms with it. I'm like, fine, it's happening, whatever. And also, in the days since the episode aired, they've they've made such a push with Shudi Gatwa in the press that they've made it very clear who the new Doctor is. And that David Tennant's just going to be having a little bit of a party in the meantime. Like, they made the big Disney Plus announcement, and the guy who's making the announcement is not David Tennant. Like, it's noti- it's noticeably not the guy that Jodie Whittaker just regenerated into. It's the exciting new Doctor and not Doctor Who from 14 years ago. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why both of us were as upset as we were about David Tennant, sorry to those of you listening at home who did not know that we were upset about David Tennant, I'm sure this completely fractures your trust in us. <laughs> but part of the reason that we were upset was the thought that this was going to just be another day of the doctor thing where it's not so much a a special so much as it is just bringing david tennant back and like it kind of on some levels does still feel like that a little bit but i care less about it now because of how well the centenary special was handled I already got all that I need from, like, a traditional anniversary special. So I'm, like, I'm pretty chill with not getting that. Like, I don't need it next year. I already got it two weeks ago. And I'm ready to just have fun with David Tennant again. And Donna, my god! I'm so excited. And plus, plus, Shooty's in the trailer. Like, he's in the episode. They didn't even hide that. He's, like, he's the note the episode ends, or, or that the... The little 13-second trailer they put out ends on it. It's a shot of David Tennant going, I don't know who I am anymore. There's like a little bit of footage of Neil Patrick Harris doing whatever he's doing. There's like a, a, a shot of Donna. And then there's Shudi Gatwa going, what the hell is going on here? And it's like, 
Which, first of all, that's just great trailer editing because it's exactly the question that everyone watching the trailer is asking, which is what the hell's going on here? Yeah, who edited that that trailer and can they uh, can Hallmark pay them money to fix their mess? Like, at this point, the only complaint that I have, like, realistically going forward is that I have to wait until November 2023. Right? I don't want to wait until November. That's over a year. Could we not have done next year what we did this year and just, like, spread the three specials out? Because they've confirmed now that the anniversary celebration is three specials that's going to be led by David Tennant and Catherine Tate. So, like, couldn't we have just done it so that, like... The first one airs in January, the second one airs around Easter, and then the third one airs around the 23rd of November. I think that would have been a great plan. I'm guessing that, like, the reason they're not is that they want they want the time, like, the literal real-world time to try and have a little bit of distance so they can do a bit of a soft reboot. And then there's probably some contractual things with Disney Plus as well, where there has to be some. I, I would imagine there's a possibility it can't start before a certain point because of the the, the the Disney Plus thing. Yeah, and I'm I'm honestly just in terms of the way I watch shows, the spread out thing works when it's a show that's as established as Doctor Who. But what they're trying to do with bringing back Russell T Davies and bringing back David Tennant and doing all, they're trying to gain. A whole new audience so what they need to do is they need to have the episodes close together so that they can maintain that hype as opposed to losing it in six months of a gap where nobody really cares and i think i think that is why they're doing the gap now is so that they don't have to take a gap later because Shooty is reportedly going to start filming the new season, like, this month. And they uh, they confirmed in the same announcement that they made about the three specials that Shooty's first episode was going to be airing in the festive 2023 season. So that's, like, Christmas or New Year's. And so it's possible they're trying to bank enough episodes in advance that they can try and get back to like a yearly winter spring airing like they used to do way back in the day and it just takes a little bit of time to to do that and it doesn't help that uh you know the new doctor has been very busy filming the barbie movie and then the the, the upcoming season of sex education like they couldn't film with him any earlier than now because he had commitments already and so i guess the decision is well if we can't film with the guy that we want we're gonna have to do something in the meantime we've got like two months where david Tennant's free let's do a little something with him to keep from having like an 18 month gap we'll only have a 13 month gap or whatever and speaking of people who are free can we talk about people that we uh, wish list for the 60th? If you could have anybody back, because I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm pretty sure from a standpoint of either the show they were on ended or their character left the show they were on, Freema Ageman and Alex Kingston both have the opportunity to come back for these specials. 
So who is who is on your wish list? I want Martha. Martha, in terms of like companions, Martha is like top of the wish list for me. I always love a good Amy and Rory coming back, but I don't see that happening. I think they would if they were asked, but I just don't see it happening. Oh, they absolutely would if they were they were asked. The issue is that what I want, I know isn't going to happen. I want Capaldi to come back, and he is like... He's adamant about not. He's he's either lying through his teeth to try and keep a surprise, or there is no chance he's coming back. And it's like, there's no in-between. And honestly, I think it's the former. I, I think he just doesn't have any interest at this point. And another 60th anniversary news. In every country except for the UK and Ireland, Doctor Who is now exclusively a Disney Plus show. So how are we feeling about that? I am of a few minds. I generally have positive feelings in that in America, the experience of watching Doctor Who on BBC America has not always been a positive one. It's been less than stellar. The, the, the show's not made for commercial breaks and they have to cram commercial breaks in. It airs at like a weird frame rate and often not in the right aspect ratio. And sometimes they speed up the f- they speed it up a little bit so they can cram an extra commercial in there. And also they just don't advertise. It's it's a lot it's it's somehow even more inconsistent than it is in an already inconsistent BBC landscape. It's just like it feels like it's pulling teeth to get BBC America to care about this show that they used to really, really, really care about. And so in that respect, I'm glad it's going to a streaming service because I wouldn't just want another cable network. So going to a streaming service, I think, is like a net positive. I just don't necessarily love that it's Disney+. Plus. On the flip side, Disney+, Plus has the advertising money. See, that's where I'm excited about it because Disney has... I mean, if there is one thing that disney knows how to do it is advertise the crap out of something they know how to market they their entire thing is just it is marketing that is all that disney is it is just marketing in a pretty jacket that you're gonna and you're gonna buy the jacket because it has the brand logo on it i was telling someone that like this time next year when you're like watching like i don't know if jeopardy airs on abc in your market but it doesn't mine I think it airs on Fox in my market. But I was telling someone, that, like, you'll you'll be sitting down to watch, like, I don't know, Jeopardy or, or whatever ABC show. And, like, right now they always, in, like, the bottom right corner where, like, the ABC logo is, periodically throughout a show they'll, like, have, like, a little moving, like, GIF advertising, I don't know, the Andor show that's on right now. And like in a year's time, that's going to be like David Tennant holding a sonic screwdriver in the bottom right corner of ABC. Okay, but David Tennant doing a little, uh, the wand thing. <laughs> the Disney Channel Hi, logo. my name is Disney. <laughs> my name's David Tennant and you're watching Disney Channel. <laughs> so like, I'm really happy about that. And I'm very happy that it sounds like Disney doesn't have anything to do with the making of the show. They are spe- they've specifically acquired the distribution rights, which just means that they get to air it. They pay a fee, and they have the right to air the show. And that's what makes me a little bit more cautiously optimistic, because this isn't going to be a situation where you have, you know, 15 spinoffs filmed in front of the, one of those giant 
the the volume LED screens. Yes. And it's it's not going to you're not going to see an oversaturation of Doctor Who. You're not going to sit there and be like, "Well, I don't know if I can watch the next episode because I haven't seen, you know, X, Y, and Z." I do think, you know, the Disney Plus thing might make it more likely that we get a spin-off, but I don't think that I don't think at least not in like the short term that we're looking at any real danger of like an MCU or a Star Wars situation. I think like we might finally get like a unit show off the ground or something because I would imagine that Disney Plus probably has like like right of refusal on distributing any spin-off shows and Russell has said that he wants Doctor Who to be more of a franchise than it is. And Doctor Who has the ability to support. They've had successful spinoffs. They can absolutely make more. The audios have like dozens of them, like an obscene amount, which like I wouldn't want the show to have. But it is proof that, you know, that the, the series has the potential to spin off an almost infinite number of ways. You just have to pick like maybe two or three that are really good. And if you stagger them, you could end up in a situation where you're never that far from something Doctor Who adjacent because you could you could end up in like a Star Trek situation where like Discovery airs for a couple of months and then Picard airs for a couple of months and then what are the other ones? Something else airs for a couple of months. Prodigy, Lower Decks, and Strange New Worlds. Yeah, but like they're not none of those are super connected, so you can pick and choose no, what you want to watch. They're like they are vastly separate shows. They take place like hundreds of years apart from each other. So I'd I'd like it if Doctor Who took a Star Trek approach at this point and had like like three or four counting the main like flagship ongoing things that they could stagger throughout the year because it would help keep the show in like the consciousness without making it like overbearing because like i don't watch all the star trek shows but i know they're on and so i'm like i think about star trek a lot because i see like a news article or maggie will say something that just happened in that one that, that had pike in it strange new worlds I think I think like that kind of an approach could be really beneficial in like five years. Like I want them to build up to that. We don't need five of them. We don't need five Doctor Who shows. I, I would want two or three. I don't think I would want four. I think that I would want to keep it, you know, with television, there really is a situation where you end up with too much of a good thing. No, um, I agree. And I, that is one of my big worries with the acquisition of Disney Plus, and one of the reasons why I'm glad they're on they've only got the distribution rights. But now, of course, they've got the funding because Disney, that's the big bucks. Disney got them deep pockets. Yes. And I mean, like, I we know the show can definitely support three, counting the main show. Yes, because it's done it before with the Sarah Jane Adventures and Torchwood. I think that is doable. Like, I, I wouldn't go higher than four. And the only reason I'm saying four is that would give you, like, one a quarter. Yeah. And I think I think if they do it, they have to do it sort of like, again, I'm not saying I want a rehash of previous spinoffs, but I think tonally they should... They need to be different shows. It can't just be... They do. And so what what worked about the spinoffs when Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures and Doctor Who were all airing around the same time 
was that the Sarah Jane adventures were skewed a bit younger and the Torchwood episodes were skewed a lot a bit older. And then Doctor Who was like in the middle. And that really worked because it allowed for a broader audience, but it also allowed for a situation where Torchwood was not intended for the 12-year-olds. So nothing that happened on Torchwood could be so impactful that you'd have to watch Torchwood in order to understand what was going on in Doctor Who. It, it creates the same thing that the Star Trek shows have, which is you get to pick and choose what you want to watch. And there's no requirement to watch all of them. Yeah, and so you have stuff like Prodigy, which is specifically designed for children. And then you've got Lower Decks, which is very specifically not designed for children. <laughs> and then you've, you've got like Nostalgia Beatty, Picard. And then you've got Edgy and Trying to Break the Mold Discovery. And then you've got like the thing that's probably closest in spirit to old Star Trek, I guess. Which is Strange New Worlds, which is one of the reasons I love Strange New Worlds so much. So I do think a direction like that could be good for Doctor Who, where you, where you have the main show that's like the one you always think of, right? And then you've got something that skews a little bit more adult, something that might skew a little bit more kids, and then maybe one other thing. Or maybe you do like like a special occasionally. I don't know. I just – I like even numbers. That's why I keep going to four. But like I do think that there's like an appeal to you've got adult, you've got – kid and then you've got the middle ground of the main show there's like a nice symmetry to that but I, I will say that like all of this gives me a lot of hope for the future of the show like this time last year or like last summer it was like it all it felt like end days where it was like is this show gonna die like is this show getting canceled soon it was so bleak and it was just there was nothing to look forward to and it was like, and it was, the ratings were bad. I mean, they weren't terrible in the context of, like, all UK TV show ratings are kind of bad right now. I mean, all every TV show ratings. It's because streaming, streaming networks. Yeah. But they weren't great. The The general critical consensus wasn't great. But I, but I think, I think, it, in a, on a general sense, that there's a very good likelihood that the, like, general perception of the show returns to a more positive association because there are a lot of people who are very excited about some of the returning cast and crew members and and i hope that they stick around after david Tennant and Catherine tate leave again like, I, I hope we don't just get a bump and then they all leave you were, you were calling it a soft reboot and that's really what it's going to be is it's going to with a new showrunner a new doctor uh, a whole new everything it really it's going to give folks who left a jumping off point without making them have to go back and watch what they missed and remember the reason why they left in the first place but i think it's also a really good chance to reach new audience like i, I think that's where like casting shooty comes into play because I have a friend, anecdotally speaking, who when when they announced that Shooty was going to be the new Doctor, this person was like, wait a second, I might watch the show now. And I was like, you should, because it's almost certainly going to be a jumping on point. They're probably going to do a soft reboot. And so I think like if they play their cards right between, you know, the Disney Plus thing 
and all of the advertising money and power that comes with that. And really exciting new cast members to try and hook new people and exciting hooks to try and hook people who used to watch the show but maybe left. Like if they play all of their cards right and then also deliver something that's good, they could really have something on their hands. It's just that has to all actually work too. But I think it's going to because it's not just it's not just Shirigawa who is the big casting news. You know, we have he's coming off being a fan favorite on sex education. And then you've got Heartstopper was one of the biggest shows of the spring and Yasmin Finney is going to be in the 60th special. You've got one of the fan favorite companions, the fan favorite doctor who has somehow gotten more beloved as an actor since he left the show. Really, really genuinely, he has. He's become like international treasure David Tennant. When like also like if if the new season of Good Omens does well, which is coming out in the summer, they get to bank off of more David Tennant popularity because that'll be happening like a few months before they'll really start ramping up publicity for the 60th and like you know everybody's going to be asking david on like the good omens press tour like what can you tell us about doctor who and he's going to be like tee hee hee nothing yes and it's going to be delightful god and it's it's just it's it's so nice to be excited about doctor who again like as much as i have adored 13 and 13 i mean 13 has felt more like my doctor than any other doctor but I've had such qualms with, with, with the advertising, with the, the arcs, with specific episodes, writing choices. I mean, as much as I adored 13 and I adored 13's companions, I wasn't hyped about Doctor Who the way that I am genuinely, genuinely hyped for the 60th. Even with all the familiar elements, like we don't, we don't really know what to expect and that's that's inherently exciting because it it could go any number of ways good bad in between and there's always something that is exciting about the unknown and and it's the it's the curse that happens to every doctor who era where like you know two or three years in you know what to expect and if you don't if you're not vibing the way that you want to be it's really hard to get to tap into that unbridled joy the way that it is when all of the new possibilities are yet to arrive you know what i mean yeah but god those moments with 13 when you did get to tap into that unbridled joy i mean oh for sure just this the whole concept of the doctor as the inventor it was brilliant and it was something that i i I connected with and i loved and adored and i'm i already miss terribly but at the same time missing it frees me up for all of this joy because i joy of what comes next because i don't have there's like no preconceived notion yeah, there's no here. way to, like... there's no way to know you know you don't go into it being like oh these are the regular problems we're gonna face with the writing or the the lighting direction or the camera work or not that there's anything wrong with the lighting or camera work on doctor who i'm just there have definitely been tv shows where i'm like oh god more of this camera work because it's an on location episode here we go yeah you don't get the sense of it's more of the same even though like one the thing that's really exciting for me is that i know 
that one of my favorite Doctor Who directors is directing one of the specials. So, like, in that sense, I do know what to expect, but it's something that I really like. <laughs> I I wish that they had, she'd been able to come back for the 13th Doctor, because just the kinds of stuff that she's able to accomplish on the kind of budget that Doctor Who or or a CW show has is just incredible. Like, I think that's the element of the 60th that I'm, like, most hyped for, is the fact that she's directing one of the specials. So, I mean, like, it sounds like both of us are looking, we're pretty excited about what's coming next, yeah? Yeah. And it's just, you know, and we'll have to wait 13 months or so, but I'm sure in the meantime there's going to be lots of little things. Like, maybe they'll do something this time around like they did last time around, where they, like, they did those, like, every month they did a new, uh, short story from like a like a well-known children's author maybe they'll do stuff like that again and we'll get a bunch of doctor who throughout the year that really builds up to the the big explosive anniversary stuff whatever it is i'm excited to see and i'm excited to be excited to see but for now i think that's that's gonna do it for this episode of who's talking doctor who returns next november for the 60th anniversary celebrations but much like I suspect the show will, we're going to have a little bit of fun, you and me, and this podcast, and all of you listening in between then. But uh, we're going to let that be a little bit of a surprise for now, and you'll hear from us again soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.